Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Dr. Rob Kelly, PhD, is a sought-after recovery expert who believes in treating the cause of addiction and not the symptomatology. First of all, I could just stop right there because most people won't even address that. Dr. Kelly has appeared on such shows as The Doctor's, eye-opening, Good Morning Texas, and Ken's Five Morning News. A frequent contributor to radio and print interviews, including The Jim Bohannon Show, Miracles of Recovery, USA Today, and he also participated in the McLean Hospitals, which is a Harvard Medical School study, on the stigma associated with mental illness. You can find out more about him at robkelly.com. That's Rob with two Bs, kelly.com. He wrote an incredible book called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, Dr. Rob, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Thank you so much for being here. And frankly, thank you for the work that you're doing. You're making a huge impact on the world. Oh, thank you, Marcus. It's uh, it's an honor to be here, guys. And great to see you all, hear you all. This is going to be an amazing show, guys. Step in your seatbelt. Here we go. Boom, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> here we go. I love it. And we were talking at the very beginning with a little bit of the stuff that we were wanting to discuss. But I love this idea, just like we said before, I, I said I was in chiropractic school and Finding that cause is the only way that we can actually find a cure to instead of trying to chase symptomatology and putting a, a band-aid on something that needs much more attention to that. And you said that at the very beginning, and I love this, about the gateway drug to what leads people to these addictions. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. I mean, most people think that we just go out there and start drinking and using. There's a couple of things to remember, and, and, and Google me, guys. You know, I know what I'm talking about here. Is alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made, okay? And most of the stuff that's going on there is part of the neuroscience that, that we always teach. But all those traumas related to that. So trauma, what you think is trauma, plane crash, car accident, divorce, that's the outer. If you can imagine a, a, a globe, uh, what's in there is the stuff when people can't differentiate between hate, uh, poor, rich, happy, sad, you know, a traumatic event, rape, you know, all that stuff. It's all bungled into one when they come to us. And that's because, misunderstood trauma like what is it and how does it affect me today so we say the gateway drug is is trauma so for those guys who are, are alcoholic and hard drug addicts not someone who abuses alcohol or likes drugs that turns into an addiction so they both present the same trauma is the gateway drug it's always the one that kills you at the end of the day well and that's so profound because just like you said if we can't see that there's no way we can really get to fixing this. Like you said, we're going to be trying to take care of the windows, but the foundation oh, is falling apart, right? I love that. I, it's so true. It's all learned behavior. 
if you grew up in a household that says you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to do anything, who do you think you are? The biggest one for me from my mom was, because we grew up on the projects, how many times have I told you, Robert, you can't go to school like your brother, you're too stupid. That's the, what we're talking about. So when, when we looked at learned behavior, this experiment was done years ago, but what we did is we got a huge mason jar and we bought a thousand fleas from the pet store. Stay with me, guys. You know, this is going somewhere good. So we put them in, put the cap on, we stabbed holes in the top, and we left them for three days. What happened over the next couple of minutes is very interesting. So obviously they could jump three feet, but they were only jumping to where the lid was. When we took the lid off after three days, not one flea would jump higher than where the lid was. Okay, which is interesting. But what was more interesting, talking about learned behavior from family, is when they had babies in that jar, the babies wouldn't jump higher than where the lid was, and they'd never even seen the lid. That's, that's you know, you're only supposed to do this, you can't do that. Says who is my biggest saying. You know, you can't, says who? This way marriage is. Says who? Who's, who's making, I don't like these rules. You know, the, the rules have changed as far as I'm concerned. You can be as happy as you like, you can be as rich as you like, whatever it is, you can be it. And I'm going to prove it to you during this program is everybody is done by fear. Everyone's kept down by fear. Babies are born with two fears, guys. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Other fears are man-made. Wait till your father gets old. Oh, my God, if you don't pass the exam, it's all BS is what it is because we're only born with two. So all the learned behavior and the enmeshment, which is depression and stuff passed down to children from especially mom, is carried through. And you're never gonna go, you're never gonna go higher in the social standard than where your family thinks you deserve. And that's not true. If you want it, stay there, great. But if you want bigger things, don't ever think for a second that you can't do it. Because the same brain, we're born with million dollar minds. Okay. Stop hanging around 10 cent minds. The same brain for the Tony Robbins guys is the same brain you have. There's only one difference. He he knew he could do it. Why don't you know you can do it? Same result. So powerful. And we talk about neuroplasticity. So this tees that up beautifully. So some of our listeners may be in that place that you're talking about where they have hit this, this ceiling of mediocrity and now they are no longer able or they don't know how to get beyond that. Could you give us a couple of steps on what the beginning of that journey would look like for them? It's all about behavior change and mindset. You ever gone to the doctors anywhere and let's say you have something wrong with your shoulder, but you're not too sure, you go in, it gives you a diagnosis, you feel that pain when you come out. If you go in and come out with measles, you feel sick with measles. 20 minutes later, when you're in the waiting room, you didn't feel that way. So your mind controls everything. So the mind sits inside the brain. It's not one entity, just like the eyes are part of the brain. It's not connected by the optical nerve. So when the energy is made up, where the same comes from, when I make my mind up to do something, it spreads the energy into the brain and the neural pathways, neurotransmitters pick that up. Then the hypothalamus, the basal ganglia, and the amygdala take over to make stuff happen. You want to start changing from today, guys, or tomorrow? Get us tomorrow morning, okay? Walk into the bathroom and brush your teeth with the opposite hand. Bang! Automatic new neural pathways being built. You see, the problem with most people right now is you're only operating on 60% of your capability because you have more self-sabotaging neural pathways from learned behavior from your environment, from friends. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Then you have good. And the idea is there are billions. The idea is to build these new neural pathways, change the way you think, therefore change the behavior. And then you can see, you know, if you go down, if you go to work the same way, go a different way. 
if you put your pants down with right leg, then left, change it. It's silly things. Now you're thinking different. That's the first start, you know? And please, I can't even stress enough. If I hang around with nine depressed people, I will become the 10. If you hang around nine successful people, you will become the 10. It's a mirroring part of the brain. This is how we change. This is how we learn. And once we're moving in that direction, now's the time while you're growing to look at that trauma that's keeping you in your place. And time after time, Marcus, people say, the trauma's not that bad. I've dealt with that. Well, first of all, if you've just said to me you've dealt with that, then you haven't dealt with that because it's still on your mind. So there was a schoolgirl in England back in the late 60s, early 70s, snatched off the side of the road. Everybody was looking for her. After about three months, nobody could find her. They thought she was dead. Nine months later, police car in a country road picks up another car for a broken light. Search the car, stolen screwdriver. Now you'd like to go back to the house and see what else. Sure enough, there's lawnmowers, there's drills, there's all this stuff. But they also noticed a box in the corner, four foot high by about 12 foot wide. And they said to the guy, we know you've got more stolen stuff in there. So they smashed the lock off and opened it. There was the girl that went missing nine months before. So he used to abuse her, feed her, restroom, back in the box for nine months, guys. Nine months. The policewoman leant over. She grabbed her by the arm because she's battered and bruised but alive. She took a police coat off and she wrapped it around this young girl. What's the first thing she did? She got back in the box. And that's how our mind works. And that's how our trauma works. Because it doesn't make any difference how, how you know, hurtful, how stressful, how damaging uh, the place is that we call our comfort zone. We will always go back there if nothing changes psychologically. Yeah, it's this, this confirmation bias, this decision that we're making. And I've seen it so many times with, with people that we can work with where you see a person that says, I'm going to try hard and they do really well. Maybe they're naturally inclined to this thing. But the minute that there's any real adversity and it pushes them, they'll get this idea and they'll start to build some sort of nobility around, well, I don't want to be a rich. All rich people are assholes. I don't want to, I don't need to be successful. I'm humble. And now what are they doing? They're building this nobility around it. They're self-perpetuating it. And then, like you said, now that's as far as they evolve in that place. And again, that's going back to trauma. Something's happened in their life. Yes. So what happens with the basal ganglia, especially with alcoholics and, and trauma victims, is if you can imagine the basal ganglia, it's our repetition, strength, and confirmed part of the brain. But for easy sake, imagine it's a clock. You know, and, and uh, this is what we do. We, you know, we get a job, we do well, we, and this could be weeks or years. You know, we get the car, we, we, we buy the house, we have children, and about 10 to the hour, we self-sabotage because of the trauma and alcoholism. Alcoholics are born, the basal ganglia is, is always going to sabotage attention. It's just part of the thing. We get this, 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 and self-sabotage. Same with the guy you are talking about. If the self-sabotage is not fixed because of the trauma, you will always be in that situation where you go, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't really want it, I don't need it. Because they're scared to push themselves because of learned behavior and trauma. Because somewhere, if you're sat at home, guys, and you're listening to this, and you think you're in that place where you're not going to amount to anything, and you don't think you're going to be anybody, I want to apologize to you guys, because somebody's put that there. Period. You know, well, that's the way it says who. You know, get back, get that stuff sorted out with somebody who knows what they're doing. If you've been seeing a therapist once a week for the last five years. Have a guess what? It's not working, okay? Unless you succeed and you see them like I do once a month to just communicate with another person to take my load off, that's great. But this is not a long-term thing, guys. This is not on the next 20 years. No, 
How about the next 10 months? How about the next three months? How about the next month? You can change this instantly by surrounding yourself with the right people and making sure that you always take the brakes off your imagination. And I don't know about you, Marcus, but when, when we was kids, we used to kick a ball around the street. It's going, Johnny, what are you going to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a pilot. What about you, Billy? I want to be a train driver. You know what happens to them dreams? I'll tell you. Your, your family and your friends kicked it out of you. That's what happened. You want to get that spark back. You can do quantum physics back to me up here, guys. You can do anything you want. If you want to be the best father in the world, you can do it. Text that. You want to become a millionaire? Listen, I was homeless, okay? Homeless on the streets. Lost my kids, my wife, my youngest daughter. Still never seen 30 years on, okay? To where I am now, it's possible. So don't tell me you can't do it. And they used to say to me, oh, well, I can't be president of the United States. Forget your political views for a second. We had a business when we were in the country with no political... Uh, what, what? Don't tell me you can't do anything you want to do because it's possible. It's called neuroplasticity, believing in yourself and straightening the central nervous system out and revisiting your trauma and all bets are off. And what I love about this is not only is your life a demonstration of this, but you've helped over the last 30 years, over 8,000 clients to overcome all these things you're discussing. 90% of them are high profile people, either actors or athletes or CEOs or entertainers, people that you would know the names of if we were to mention them, for example. So of all those things that you saw, what was the worst piece of advice that you heard them being continually told that kept them in that kind of spiral to where they would never actually get out of it? Uh, you, you can't recover. You can't recover from alcoholism, food, sex, gym. You just can't recover. It's the way it is. Don't be silly. Uh, I, I was born with him. My dad worked in the mines, so I have to work in the mines, obviously. Wow. Like people, I mean, look, going to get showered at this. 90% of people that come to us with a heroin addict started in the doctor's office. That's not a statement. That's 30 years of written testament back in the offices, okay? So when people tell you something, even doctors, it doesn't mean it's right. And if someone's offended by what you say, it doesn't make them right. Oh, that's offensive. No, 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 no. You find it offensive. Not that it's offensive. No, 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 no. You don't think I can do something. I can do anything I put my mind to. Mind, brain, everything will follow. You see, there's a new set of rules today, guys. Everyone's still working off 60s and 70s. You can't do this and you're only supposed to do this. And then if I could get a job and just work nine to five for the rest of my life, really? Really? I mean, that's what you want. Great. But most people want more, but only operating about 40 to 60% of our capability. Not many people get there. It's about stepping out of the comfort zone. It's about not believing. It's like when somebody comes to me and goes, oh, Johnny, you're going to take on Johnny. He's done this. He's done this. And I go, stop right there. I'm not interested in what he's done. I'm interested in the way he speaks to me when I talk to him. I don't judge anybody by past, you know, and it's the same with people that want to break out. You're always going to get the people, guys. I was on the projects when I tried to break out, all them people tried to pull me back in again, you know, and then when I started succeeding, I wanted to hang around with them guys. That doesn't work because me hanging around 500 friends of mine who are still down there. One or two things are going to happen. All 500 are going to come up to me or I'm going to step down. It's not easy. Do the math. You know, so it's really important that we know this because people don't know this. What me? Everybody's born to be a leader. Don't sit at home and tell you're not you guys. You are listening to this or watching this for a reason. I'm talking to you who sat at home. Don't think they're on mount or anything. Says who?
I absolutely agree. And for the people that are, like you said, once they try to separate themselves from mediocrity, there will be people that will try to pull them down. And it's so compelling because these are people they have known, love, trust, the people that educated them, the people that taught them, the people that they grew up with. It's going to be hard for them to break out of that. Can you explain to them why everybody wants to bring them back down and then how they can at least have that pragmatic empathy to understand that and still stand up for what the hell they want to do with them with their lives? Well, first of all, I want to say, guys, that you'll never make a hater doing better than you. Just want to put that out there, okay? So, yeah, you're going to get this social balance where you step away. Oh, look at him. He's got all big-headed now. And just because he's got a bit of money, you know, you've got to step away from that, whether that be family or friends or relatives. If you want to do something special, and I don't mean be famous, if you want to go away and start a job that sweeps the floors, but you're earning money of your own, you need to pull away from these guys and make sure that's a dream and hang around the guys that sweep the factory floor. Because I've done that. That was the best job I ever had when I come off homeless. You know, we're not looking down on anybody here. This is an amazing job that I had. But what happens is like when I stop drinking, people want to pull me back. Oh, come on, the good old road. We don't like you when you're sober. Come on. Because they're used to that behavior. I, I travel back on to England once, twice a year to see my daughter and granddaughter, who I'd never seen my daughter for almost 25 years. It's a different story. But when I go back to the bars and the, and the clubs, it's the same old guy saying the same old story, drinking the same old beer. You know, with, oh, I'm going to be this one day. You're 61 years old now, guys. You're never going to be shit, unfortunately, because you don't break away. So I want to say this for those guys that do want to break away. It can become a lonely journey at points. Okay. But my, my journey was lonely because nobody believed what we were doing. The medical fraternity laughed at us and said it can't be possible 15 years ago. And yet 10 years ago, they agreed with our neuroplasticity format. There's going to be a time. But remember this, guys. It's not about you. It's about the millions of people you're going to help when you step away from the norm. Believe me, there's nothing like it. And I love that idea. We were talking about Angie Manson. She has very much a similar philosophy to you in this idea and using the body and doing CrossFit and taking accountability to do those things. And her recovery rate, and I guess it would be called relapse or recidivism, like it's amazing. Like it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Her property, 33 acres, incredible. You, you've been out there. You've seen the work that she's doing. So we have a 97% success rate because of a few things that we do, including including the family. The mm -hmm. patient's wife doesn't want to come on board. He won't take the patient. Uh, when we visited them, their, their success rate is a 94. The nearest success rate to me and Angie is around 19% over a 10-year period or more, 19%. So we're doing something that works. And I'm passionate about this, as you can tell, Marcus. I, I will go to any lens to make sure that, that you will recover. In actual fact, we're the only company in the world that offers a money-back guarantee. If you don't, if you relapse or do anything you're supposed to be doing while following our program, you've got to follow the program. And we don't take people on. I turned Britney Spears down for a million dollars 14 years ago in a, in wow. a restaurant, Campes is in Dallas, Texas, when she just came from a gig. And uh, she was drunk and she wasn't ready. And her father stood up, Jamie, and said, I'll give you a million dollars, Dr. Rob. Please don't leave her. I said, she's not ready. And I walked out. Next day, she's in the papers shaving her head up. You see, you can't buy our services. You've got to earn them, man. You've got to earn them. I, I spent enough times, Marcus, working with people that didn't want it and it put me in hospital with a nervous breakdown. I swear I'm never going to do that again. You know, so this is about living. This is about getting your life back. This is about leadership. This is about doing what's right. This is about being strong. You know, men, men, come on. We love, we love powerful women. We love leading women. We love, but men, come on. Isn't it time to be men again? 
Yeah, because if you ask any girl, you know, who's who's a normal girl, do you want a man to protect her? That's you. Oh, I'm talking about you. Stand up. Let's do stuff. You know, let's hold our head up high. Let's be strong. I used to walk into a room, Marcus, not long ago. I used to walk into a room. I used to walk in and go, oh, I wonder if anybody likes me in here. Now, do you know what I do? I kick the door in, walk in and go, who the do I like in here today? <laughs> it's confidence. It's not cockiness. I, right. Me and my wife give $150,000 every year to people in need. $150,000. Plus, that's not including the book sales and the foundation that we have. So I'm not sitting on my high horse here, guys. They do this, do No, I'm talking from experience. My feet will always be in the trenches. But I want to be here so I can help more people on a bigger platform. Do I have the big houses, big cars? Why wouldn't I? I, I? I don't buy anything. I can't buy cash. You know? And what's the difference between me and you guys? Nothing. Nothing. Just I thought I could do it. So can you. And I believe the reason you're so impassioned is because you fought this battle on your own leading up to this place. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Because especially now we have younger people that are getting on a path or older people that have been in a position and now they're trying to get off of it and they feel lost on their path, but feeling lost on the path is part of the path. Can you tell us what your journey was like? Well, my journey was horrific because not only did I lose, I got kicked out of my own house, million dollar house by my wife and uh, my father and my mother, rightly so, by the way, and eventually became homeless. When they took my two daughters off me, ages one and three, the one-year-old I've never seen for 30 years, my daughter said three things to me because I kept them overnight before they took them and I didn't feed them or, you know, for two days, three days, they, I was drunk and they were, you know, nearly killed him. No, no diapers changed, no, no food. Wow. Uh, yeah. The, the police come and the authorities and he, she took mommy's hand and she's walking down the path. This is what my daughter said to me. The daddy, daddy, please get better. They walk further down. She turned around and she says, daddy, daddy, please don't go. And they got to the big iron gate and they opened the gate and she turned around one more time. And she said, daddy, daddy, please stop drinking. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. A week, a month later, I was sat in the middle of Manchester, homeless. Everyone had turned the back on me. My parents wouldn't speak to me. Brother and sister disowned me. Friends wouldn't pick up the phone. People were spitting at me, throwing diapers at me that were full, taking me like trash. I'm the guy that went to Oxford. I'm the guy that played Abbey Road with Elton John, Queen and David Barr. I'm the guy. I was the man. And yet when I tried to tell these guys on the streets, they laughed at me. They said, there's no way have you done that. You're a drunken bum. Seven suicides. On two occasions, it worked. I was dead on the side of the road, and they brought me back to life. I hated them, them emergency guys. I hated call ambulance men back home. I hated them guys for doing that because I didn't want to live anymore, you know. But there was a huge spiritual awakening I had that, that got me off the streets. And what you will find, guys, if you're if you're going down that path, first of all, if you are an alcoholic, there's a difference between abusing alcohol and alcoholism. If you want to know if you've got alcoholism, trace three generations back and find out who had the drink problem. If there's nothing there, you haven't got the disease. It's hereditary. Passed down from generation to generation. You cannot drink yourself into becoming an alcoholic. It's impossible. Mm. Like turning a pickle into an onion. It's impossible. You can't do it. So you're abusing alcohol if you're in that case and there's no alcoholism or addiction in your family. So there's a huge difference between the both. But once you find out that you can change circumstances, once you come off the streets like me, the vision is strong. Because I swore to myself and God, eventually, I was an atheist on the streets, that I would spend the rest of my life trying to bring families back together again. 
like mine was never fixed, never fixed, uh, and helping people not only recover from drugs and alcohol, cover from trauma, cover from cake, food, relationships, want to be a CEO, want to be a footballer, all that stuff I take them through. And I've got to tell you now, Marcus, I went to Oxford University and about nine years ago, went back to Southampton University online and got my second PhD in behavioral science. So I have a psychology. I've got to tell you now, 96 to 97% of my work today is from the streets uh, because it was like a semester at Harvard for me. You see, I don't go into normal psychology on the reason why, because they have no idea. Doctors have no idea what alcoholism and addiction. They're stunned and baffled by it, you know, but uh, I've been there and I've done it. Let me talk to you. Yeah, what, what do you know? You've never, yeah, check. You've never had your, check. You've never been beaten and raped on the street, check. Where you want to go with this? Because I'm going to keep checking because that's the Harvard situation I got there. You see, if I walk into a therapist and they've never suffered from alcohol addiction or childhood trauma, how they're helping you help me? When I tell you that if you have a bottle of vodka behind you and I want it and I'll stab you in the face repeatedly until I get it, they freak out when I call the police. So I'll move on to the next one. I say the same to the second therapist. And when the guy goes, oh, yeah, oh, my God, I do exactly the same. Then I found my guy to yes. work with. Because you can go to any university you want, man, without that experience. You're not going to teach people the right way. You're not going to get them better. You're really not. Oh, I can hear the complaints already, Mark. <laughs> well, that's what we want. I mean, pain and discomfort, the best teachers, that's the only way to really learn the lesson. We get punched in the face by adversity because it forces us to say, listen, are you listening? Do I have your attention? And like you said, that epiphany for you on the streets, for me, it was that acceptance of being paralyzed from the neck down, being told I'd never walk again, flat lie on the table, and then looking at my life at 40 and saying, how do I survive this? Like, I wanted to commit suicide, but I was paralyzed. I couldn't do it. So if this is the case, what do I do? And for you, having that radical acceptance is what allowed you to begin that journey to pull yourself out of that. So you had that epiphany, that awakening, and then what were your steps to get out of that place? I was taken back to a guy's house. He found me on the streets at two o'clock in the morning in, in, in amongst the factories. And uh, I stayed with him, met somebody else at one of the AA meetings I used to go to. I visited him every Wednesday night. I left I left Derek's house. I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor, blow up mattress. I walked to this guy's house every, left at six, got there for seven, stayed till eight, left it, got back home at nine. Every Wednesday for 12 weeks. And uh, he told me, he told me great things about me. He told me, I've been chosen to go around. I've been doing this. I'll be doing that. And I didn't believe him because he said that the last day I was there on the 12th week, he said to me that your life's going to change from tomorrow. And I said, I love you to bits, John, but I'm staying in a friend's house. Nobody knows I'm there. I'm on a blow-up mattress in the basement. It's not going to happen. The next day, Derek come home from work. He said, oh, my God, the guy that sweeps the floor in the factory has just resigned. Do you want that job? I took it. Later wow. that week, it turned into a full-time job. The week after, somebody gave me a little car to get to work and back because Derek was on different shift work. All these amazing things started to happen. I started working people who were getting well. It was just crazy. So when I got my first pay packet, I mean, you're talking about loads of stuff here. God, we're talking about psychology, spiritually, we're talking about behavioral. This guy was so knowledgeable, man. And when I started using it like I do today, people were getting well, you know. But I've got my first pay packet and I got, you know, got my little money there. It's, Staple to an envelope. I went to the gas station, I bought down a little teddy bear and a card. And I wrote in the card, thank you, John, for introducing me to God. He took the composed to drink away. And I went back to his house. When I got there, nobody was there. He wasn't in. In fact, he looked derelict the place. So I was banging that hard on the, on the door that the right-hand woman came out and says, can I help you, love? I said, yeah, where's John's moved to? And she said, John? I said, yeah, John. 
Oh, dear, there's been no one in that house for three months that I know of. I said, okay, obviously drunk. Let her close the door, went to the left one. Now I'm knocking on this door a bit harder. So he opens, big guy. What do you want? Can you tell where John is located? Where's he moved to? He said, John, what are you talking about? To the guy next door. That, you can't go in that place. It's derelict. There's no floor in it. You walk in, you fall downstairs. You can't go in it. I don't know what you're talking about. You must be crazy. Close the door. Now I'm checking around me and I knew that I'd gone there for 12 weeks, Marcus. So I went back to the meeting because that's where I'm going to find him. And the same chairman was on four months ago. He was in there. And I said, Jimmy, do you remember me? Oh, my God, Rob, I remember you. Miserable as hell sat in the corner. I remember you. <laughs> yeah, do you remember when John spoke? And I asked him to be my sponsor, and I was over near the coffee machine, and we had a good talk for 30 minutes. Where can I find him? And he said, what are you talking about, Rob? You was over near the coffee machine speaking to yourself for 30 minutes. Never found that one, Marcus. In actual fact, when I got wealthy, I sent a team, one of the best teams, of uh, detectives, private detectives, out to find him, and nobody could ever find him, never heard of him, and he, we can't trace him to this day. But that's the stuff that I teach today. Not traditional psychology, not traditional brain spotting or NLP. It's like this guy told me stuff to pass it to other people that's going to work. He also told me he's going to be taken out of England and taken to a bigger country, which I thought was hilarious at the time because <laughs> I hardly had one pound, never mind 600 pounds, but uh, yeah, it, it was just crazy. It really was crazy. And so you're taking that knowledge and that experience and you're bringing it to others. And again, being with them in that place, that's what gives them the ability to understand that this can happen. It builds a little bit of belief in them. And what people don't understand is just that little that little seed of hope is all they need yeah. to begin. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if I tell you a lie, you might believe it, you might not. If I tell you a lie often enough, you're going to believe it. If I tell you a lie real often enough, I'm going to start to believe it. So what happens is when, if, if I compliment three people a day, dopamine is released into my brain. Um, so what happens is if you compliment somebody, they can change their life. So I was in Dallas for 12 years before I came to San Antonio. And I said to my guys in Dallas, I'm thinking of writing a book, guys. Now I'm established by now. I'm on iOpener, which is a national TV program going out to four or five million people a day. I'm on there two or three times a week. I everyone knows me and recognizes me. You know what my friend said? Don't be so stupid. You can't write a book. You're not an author. That'd just be crazy. I would I wouldn't get that. So I never wrote a book. I came to San Antonio some three, four years ago. I'm hanging out with a new set of positive guys and I said, I'm thinking of writing a book. Oh my God, I would buy that book. Oh my God. So I wrote a book. That's what seems to be the situation. Is when you when you people start complimenting you, the first thing you want to do is just brush it off. Hey Jimmy, nice t-shirt. Oh, just something I've thrown on. It's just it's nothing much. Hey Johnny, you want to come to that thing on Monday? Oh, no, 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 no. I can't go because you know you know my yes or no is a full enough answer. First of all, and here's the words that you use when you're in that position. It's so hard to say, guys, but I'm going to teach you how to say it. Thank you. That's it accept them compliments the only thing we know we're getting better because we cannot be our own yardstick is when people tell us you're amazing you're fantastic you, you, and when you hear that from the people that you hang around you're going to be successful and amazing you know it's the repetition part of the brain again it picks it up you know the more you do something the stronger it gets then we started driving a car markers we got into a little car it felt like a huge 18 wheeler you know we're trying to <laughs> maneuver between the traffic parked cars and it's like 100 yards between both of them so what happens with the basal ganglia is the more times we do that, the more easy it becomes. 
Now, all of a sudden, we take our test. We can drive backwards down the driveway, wait to our mom, call a girlfriend, texting the wife. All at the same time, while listening to the radio, because inserted into that basal ganglia is what happens. And that's what happens to human beings. The more you do it, the, the more you're going to in, ingrain into the brain that this becomes second nature. So the problem with trauma is that it's ingrained into the brain. So every time you're going to gum something, what happens is the prefrontal cortex, and one of its only jobs is to get a solution to your problem as quick as possible. But listen, guys, it doesn't have to be the right solution. Remember that. So what happens with trauma victims who don't think they suffer from trauma is when something like that happens, they need a recall. Nine out of 10 people go to the bad part of the brain, bad part of recall, and a horrible memory comes up, and you back up and go, whoa, you know, I, 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 don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to buy that house after all. And you freak out, you know? Instead of coming to the good memories and going, yeah, you can do it. So the more good stuff we hear, the more bad stuff we get rid of through trauma work. And somebody says to you, you're amazing. I want to do this job. You go, oh, yeah, I can do that. We take people literally from the office to the Porsche 911 dealers and we get them to sit in 911s and we take them to the million dollar houses and we walk around them as if they're their houses. So when it does happen, because it does when you work with me, when they go to the Biden 911, now you've got all the money. When you see it, the brain doesn't go, oh, oh, oh no, you don't, oh, you don't belong here. Oh, my God. These are, and the brain goes, ah, I remember this place. It's familiar. And that's how the brain and trauma works. And that goes back to what you were saying before, how a lot of these high performers, they won't take a compliment or they'll compliment everyone around them because they want to influence and impact, but they don't have time for that shit for themselves, right? And sooner or later, they burn out. You exactly. Know? So all the big speakers that you see on stage, all that, I've worked with all of those guys, uh, apart from one or two, maybe, I, I don't know. I've worked with a bunch of them guys and they can go on stage and they can sell you everything in the world and positive and they're amazing and fantastic and everyone wants to be them and they're hurting hundreds of millions of dollars a year. But you know, they go back to the house and they sat there and the wife's maybe in and sat in their little couch on their own. They are devastated. They are sad. They cry. You know, they drink themselves into stupors and stuff like that because they're looking at everybody else. They're motivating everybody else. But if you don't do it before chemicals and the brain is not going to act like it normally does. So one of the things we tell people all the time is oxygen. Oxygen is the key. So childhood trauma is the gateway drug. Oxygen is the key. So oxygen is present. No cancer, no other illnesses can grow any further than they already are. Every illness, disease, knee pain, elbow pain, headache grows and starts in a hypoxic state. So when we get the oxygen every morning, every afternoon, every night, your health will increase. Once your health increases, we're flushing oxygen to the brain and our city starts to perform better. Then the childhood trauma, you go, oh, yeah, I need to do some work on that because I'm guaranteeing you clear this up and you can go as far as you want here, no matter what they say. But everybody that comes to me, including members of the government, people think they're amazing. People think they're superstars. People think they're strong. People, you know, even bodybuilders, we have a, you know, strong boxes, personal boxes. You won't mess with one of those on the streets, you know, but at the end of the day, the psychological damage by years of abuse by the parents. Uh, and the energy from that, that's what he's suffering because he's never cleared that up. So when when a, when a young girl sees dad coming home drunk and beating mom most nights, she gets to learn a couple of things. How does the door rattle when he opens it? Because now it's either danger or not danger. When it comes in, where should I hide so he doesn't hit me? And what happens to that child is it grows up with them traits. 
So you can bet nine out of 10 times, and I get this all the time off women, they will attract the alcoholic who ends up beating them. And when they do attract the nice guy that really wants to look after them, they will self-sabotage that relationship. And the mindset behind that as a kid is when you got stuff taken away from you and when, when it wasn't there for you, when love wasn't there, when, you know, abandonment was rife, is the idea that I'm going to finish this deal before you finish it because I know you're going to finish it. So I'm going to self-sabotage. I don't want to go out with it. I don't want to see you when they walk away. And that's all trauma. And you've worked with so many different people. And I know that you can't mention any specific names, but can you give us an example that would sort of give us a demonstration of that, that you feel would be a good representation of what you're discussing? So we got a call in, in Hollywood, uh, LA, and it was up an agent that I wasn't familiar with. And he said, would you come down? We have a, a guy that's either going to go to prison or go in your, your care. We got this from the, from the judge. He knows you. He knows some great work. So we said, who's the, who's the patient? Or oh, we can't tell you over the phone. Oh, I don't know too much, you know. So anyway, we did. We got on our, our plane and, and we flew over there. And we walked in the courtrooms and we sat with the attorney and several other attorneys. And and they bring this guy in and he's shackled. And he looks like he's been, oh, he looks horrible. He's fallen from grace within Hollywood. He's made some great movies in the past, but he's, he's just, he's gone. We got, and, he, and he always does runners in treatment centers. So they're not going to put him in a treatment center anymore. He's going to go jail unless I can convince him. I start off by saying this to the judge, but I can't convince you. It's all on him. And he mm -hmm. said to me, Dr. Keller, let me tell you, if he, if he goes disappearing under your care, uh, we will, you'll be back in his court. So that I said, no, thank you. went to walk out. But a few people stopped me and turned me around. I had my bodyguard with me. I had a couple of uh, guys with me. And so we, we took him. We handcuffed him. We took him to the, the plane. We got on the plane. We flew him home uh, to Dallas, Texas. And then we flew him to the ranch by helicopter. So nobody knew where he was. All around you, psychological things are happening. Certain Coca-Cola cans are placed in certain areas. You know, pictures of him when he used to. All these little things we find out about him. Like he used to love, like, Lego toys. So in the corner summer, we'd have a Lego. We'd get somebody to build a Lego and we'd stick it in the corner. So oh, subliminally, they're catching all this. And now it feels like home. Oh, my God. Yeah, now you're more open to being taught and being repaired apart from the trauma. Anyway, it's 90-day program. He was two weeks away. And we're telling him, listen, you never have a problem with money again. You, they're going to sign you. In fact, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go as brave as to say that if you don't become the biggest movie star ever or in the world right now, I'm going to refund all your money. Now, they paid a fortune because of who he is, security, bodyguards, cars, then, you know, health farming, all this we had to bring in. So it cost a yes. lot of money. But uh, the, the door went and the, the, the chauffeur brought it to the door. I opened the door and gave it to me. It was like an envelope, and then brown envelopes, but it was really thick. <laughs> and uh, he gave it to me and said, no one was allowed to mention his name in the house, by the way. Nobody for no photographs, no signature. Nobody was allowed to mention in case anything was bugged. This is for your, this is for your guy, is what they uh -huh. say. So I took it into, into the front one. I gave it to him. And he sat down and he, he pulled it. He said, I don't know what this is. Crazy. He was writing to me. And he pulled it out. And it was a script for a box office sensation that did about four, three or four movies off that. Is now classed in the top three and is worth, I don't know, hundreds of millions. Wow. But he was into training, you know? He used to, he's like an Iron Man, really strong, pushed this weight much further than I can. He's a, he's a good guy in the end, but we love him. He calls, he calls me about once every three or four months just to check in with some joke. Or he'll set me up with something. Big joker, by the way. He'll set me up with something. Some, he'll call somebody to come up, put a parking ticket outside my, you know, while I'm in the driveway. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm the police calling. I've got no recollection. I don't, we've got no paperwork on this. 
pig. Yeah. Oh, those are the best. I love making people smile, I think. Yeah. And we talk about a lot of the things that we're doing and we're trying to pour into others. But oftentimes, if we're not getting something back from it, if we're not being revitalized and recharged by the work that we do, we we burn ourselves out. But but even when we are doing that, sometimes we're doing it too often. Can you tell me about the things that you're doing to protect yourself, to keep yourself intact, whether it be motivation, self-care? Because you're operating at such a high level to so many people. I, I'm just really would love to know more about that because I'm sure it'll help not just other listeners, but myself, frankly. So let me give you an example before I tell you that because it kind of leads into it. We had a new nurse starting in Dallas. Uh, in Highland Park offices we had. And uh, a guy came in, he, he was suicidal. He won't speak. You know, he kept telling the staff, I want to I want to die, I want to die. So he came in with me for an hour. When he came out, he was smiling, saying bye to all the nurses, thanking her and stuff. And I, I I didn't hear this, but somebody did. He reported to me. So we have an older nurse there. I don't mean old in age. I mean, she's been with me quite a few months. And a new one. And the new one says to the older one, oh, my God, did you see what Dr. Kelly did? That was mind-blowing. Oh, my God, everything I heard about him was true. It's absolutely amazing. The older nurse says, I know, right? Have you told him that? Oh, no. I mean, he already knows, but I, I, I would never tell him. That's the situation we find ourselves in. So it becomes a lonely journey. Even though the picture is amazing, but you, you don't know that. No one's told us. So there's a couple of things I do today. I do what's called mirror work. Stand in front of the mirror every morning, go, I love you, I love you, 10 times. It's filling that subconscious brain. All the time of new stuff, getting rid of the old, new, 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 old stuff, good stuff. And then what I do is my breath work. I do 30 big, big breaths in and out. And I do it again lunchtime and nighttime. But I have downtime. I have two English bulldogs and my wife. We have a crazy backyard. We make sure that the phones go off once a week on a Tuesday and nobody can get in touch with us. And I have a therapist. I have a guy that I see once a month, and uh, he's not like any other therapist. He's a down-to-worth like me. So he will curse at me. He will shower at me if he thinks I'm not doing something right. Or if I'm doing too much or something, or I just give five grand away to somebody who asked for it, he, he will really hold me accountable. And I love that. Because at the end of the day, I'm not accountable to anyone. Who's going to tell me? My staff are not going to tell me. My friends are not going to tell me. I was treating them to stuff. Exactly. So this guy just comes on. And I, I, I limit my client. I take on four patients every three, every, uh, yeah, every three months, four patients only. So I only work from eight until 12. And, and my 12 until two is my podcast time, but that's not work. So I right. limit what I do. I don't take everything on that I used to because for me, the description of that was like, you know, your desktop guys, you know, you've got the zip file that you stick everything you can't be dealing with right now. And then one day you're bored. Uh, oh, oh, and you click on the zip file and everything comes at you at once and it's overload. That's what happened to me. So seven years ago, and I don't mind telling everybody, it's probably the, might be the only podcast I've ever said this on because, you know, it was hard. It's me, you know, I'm supposed to be the man kind of thing. But uh, I had what's called a breakdown. I had a nervous breakdown from unresolved trauma, trauma that I had from the past that I'd not recalled. So I went into a place called the Meadows, which does childhood trauma. And I stayed at the Meadows for six weeks. We kept it quiet, obviously. But people who asked, and, and you know, we'd, we'd say, I've gone away because I, I need some help, you know, myself. But it was the best thing I ever did. So I learned a couple of lessons from that, that, yes, you can clear your trauma 100%. I did it right there when I was with those guys. And uh, yes, I know it's a full enough answer. I use that. And then don't be available all the time. So I have a gatekeeper today. 
you have to get through Hertz. And, well, it's a couple of Janet, Courtney, or, or, um, oh God, the other one, Jackie. And yes. you, you only get through to me if. Now, I say that, I'm always giving my phone number out on shows to people that are desperate. I'll do it this time as well. It, my staff hates it. But I don't want anyone to think that I'm rich and I've made it and I'm okay, Jack, and screw everybody else and stuff like that. And it's expensive going to you and all that stuff. I always keep my feet in the trenches. We give money back. So I want to tell, reach out, guys. If, you, if you're in that situation, especially alcoholic and addict, suffering from you know, you know trauma or anything else and you don't think you're amount to anything, you never think you're going to be worthy, you know, you've been in that cycle of self-destruction, I want you to call me, guys. My personal number is 214-600-0210. That's 214-600-0210. Send me a text if you're in that place. Don't just text to talk. I love you guys, mm -hmm. but I'm really crazy busy. I will... I will call you within the 12 hours that you send it and i will give you a 10 or 15 minute pep talk that will change your life i guarantee it in actual fact let me go one step further if i call you and i don't change your life within 15 minutes i will send you a hundred dollars for wasting your time i would rather spend 10 minutes 15 minutes on the phone with you than hear of your funeral next week there's a guy called derek who picked me off of the street I want to be that Derek for the rest of my life. Yeah. I don't care what I have to do to be that Derek. I am never the guy sat on the throne here. I'm always going to be the guy that sold his kids out for alcohol. I came downstairs one night, guys. This is how crazy it got me. I came downstairs one night, two or three o'clock in the morning. I had work that day. My head's banging. I need a drink. I'm searching around the kitchen. I find one. I pulls it out. It's like three quarters of a pint bottle. I'm like, yes. I put it on the counter for a second. I turn around to get a crystal glass. Like 150 pound money, pound dollars, mm -hmm. crystal glass. Because hey, I'm not an alcoholic. I turned around again, and my wife had snatched the bottle up the side because she'd followed me down and said, Robert, I think you've had enough. Let's think about it for a second. I've been drinking last two or three months nonstop. I had a meeting in the morning, board meeting. I had to drive to work. What I should have said is, thank you, Mrs. Kelly, and gone back to bed. What I did is took a kitchen knife out and stabbed her three times. Fled to Spain so I won't get caught with an attempted murder charge. I'm that guy. Not that guy you think I am. I'm never going to be that guy. I don't, you'll never see me smooching with people. You'll never see me on yachts doing shoot. I got the opportunity 10 times a year, 15 times a year. I'm never going to do it. You know, I'll be your friends and I'll talk to you, but I'm never going to smooch. I don't do that stuff because I'm always going to be the Derek on the ground. So when you hand your hat, call out, when you call out in desperation because your kids just been taken off you and you can't afford my services, I want to be there. I want to be there, guys, for you. Putting your money where your mouth is. I, I love that. It's That is actions, not words. That is octa number right there. Everybody talks about it. Everybody has this pontification, but they're not actually doing the work. And like you said, by putting yourself out there, what does that do? It's just like when you're trying to work with any person, right? If if you're working with somebody that really needs you, it forces you as a doctor, as a as a coach, to level up. If you're working with people that Again, that recidivism, that that built-in job security, because you know 80% of them are going to come back in a few months and they're like, oh, I just need another vacation, so to speak. That's not what you do. You don't have time for that stuff in your life. Like you have to make this work. And this here's the thing: the people that come to you, this may be their last chance, their last opportunity. So you it's don't have the look right. So you don't have the luxury of like, well, I hope this works. It's like, no, yeah. it has to work. 
That, that I mean, when the inshore that's come with us, I go, go and book in a training center. And when you, I mean, there's, there's, there's a handful of treatment centers that are amazing guys. You know who you are because you know who I am. You're amazing. But when you're taking little Johnny in for his fifth or sixth time into the same treatment center and taking 30 grand a month of you every time, shame on you. Shame on you. What are you doing? You know, you're not even offering a money back guarantee. You're just taking and taking and taking. And I get it. You know, it's a business. Most of the people running in places, not alcoholics and addicts or trauma victims or, you know, or whatever it is, they're not them guys. The, the businessmen, without that residual, you know, turnaround, I mean, come on, the business all broke within a couple of months. What we found is rather than doing that and kind of guessing if they'll stay sober, oh, and by the way, if it doesn't work, go, oh, he just wasn't ready. No, no, no. It's, it wasn't ready because the crap you're teaching him, you know, all the saunas and hot tubs and everything in the world won't get you sober and clean forever. We say forever. You know, so yeah, we we won't do that. I'm I'm ashamed of those people. I don't, I don't mix with them. The treatment centers hate me, and I hate them. It's fine. I don't got a problem with that. See, I, I I'm the guy that says things that other people are thinking. And what, what are you going to do to me? You walk me outside and give me a really? You don't want to go down? I'm 61, but you still don't want to go down that route, guys. Really, you don't believe me? I'm still fast at my age, and I, I'm 245 pounds right now. Most of it's muscle, so you don't, don't be messing with that. You know, he's going to say anything. People, there's loads of people that, that don't like me. But you know something? I've never met a hater doing better than me yet. It's true. And and speaking of weight, you recently lost 100 pounds. Yeah, uh, just over 100 pounds now in the last 12 months. I kind of got lazy. Stuff. I've been bodybuilding all my life, mm -hmm. dieting, training all my life. And I got to 59 and I said, you know something? I'm not going to diet anymore. And I put about, I want to say I put about 80 pounds on maybe 90 pounds, real fast, the McDonald's, the cakes and all that stuff, didn't go to oh, the yeah. gym. So when I was 60, a year ago next month, July, I said to myself, I want to be the best 61-year-old, good-looking, fit, agile, running that I could ever be. In fact, I want to try and see if any other 60-year-old, 61-year-old is as good shape as me. And when I go back home, I see my guys my age sat in wheelchairs, you know, sat with beer bellies, you know, stuff. it's like, I didn't want that. I, I wanted something different, you know, and I've yes. got to keep pushing myself. No matter what it is, I've got to keep pushing. I've got to always be teachable. I can never be unteachable because do I know everything? Oh, my goodness. No, oh my goodness. No, you know, no, no, no. I mean, for some of the guys that, that, that are on my path, the only reason why I know more than you because I'm older. That's the only reason. Nothing special about me. It's just that I'm absolutely, crucially, aggressively interested in your in your life going forward and, and that that guy hung himself one day after two days with us we had no signs i didn't sleep for about two weeks they had to wow. take me to the doctors and give me sleep seeming time to knock me out i cried every night i was pissed off with everybody because somebody died on my watch that we found something i'm getting careful of it now that's the guy I, i'm not the guy who goes hey we got 20 grand up him for three months and he only lasted a couple of days and we that's not me man i suffer badly with this so I, I ain't messing around with this stuff. If we take you on, you're going to recover. You're going to get your life back. If we don't take you on, I'll give you a 10, 50-minute pep talk. You can call our phone all you want. We'll give you advice. Never going to turn you away. We have a pro bono. 25% of our work is pro bono. There's a big list for that. So then we start the foundation. You know, It's about giving back, being happy and content, having no drama or trauma in my life, despite meeting people every day that need to be in that drama place. I step away from that stuff. You know, and I stay sane. I have a beautiful wife that looks after me. I have beautiful friends around me. And uh, I got to tell you guys, I have everything I want and everything I need, you know. And uh, my only job now is to work with 50,000 people before I pass away. Mm. 
Because I, I, oh, by the way, I'm 61. Oh, I'm coming to my end of my life. I mean, it just started. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to die at 67, 80. I'm going to be, I'm going to hit 100. And when I hit 100, I want to have helped 100,000 people. I want my name to be recognized, not by who I was, because my greatest asset is my past. You can't, you can't define me on that past. Define me what I've done. And all I want someone to say is, oh my God, he was a good guy. That's all. That's my life done on this earth. And I think that you losing that hundred pounds, not only will that be a testament to what you can do with your life physically, but you and I understand that if I'm in great shape and I walk into a room, it makes everything that I say naturally have more gravitas. You know something I, oh man, I can't believe you said that, Marcus. That is so true. I had a speaker today and, oh, he was so brutal. He said like, look, you're not going to buy anything of a fat person. Someone who's overweight, someone who's heart struggling, he can't breathe. It's not going to happen, guys. He said, I hate to say that, but it's not. And I got thinking, it's like, God, everything I bought off some people have been good, like bodybuilders, good shape, runners and everything. It's like, you don't buy the services. You don't buy the car because you know what car you want. You buy the sales guy. And it's so true. And everybody can lose weight, guys. You know, everybody can feel better about themselves. If you're happy being overweight, then I was it for ages. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's good. Uh, obese. I was classed as obese. I didn't like that title, so I did something about it. And that's that's the part of the, of everything in the world. We have a 7.3 second rule in our company, and that is if you have an idea or you have an ambition, make a move towards it within 7.3 seconds. So if I'm sat at home on the wife uh, uh, with the wife and I'm sat on the sofa, I've got a big kind of pot for corn, a big mug of coke, and I say to my <laughs> wife, you know something? <laughs> I'm going to hit the gym tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not going to hit the gym tomorrow, okay? It's, not, it's never going to happen. Well, when I say that and put the stuff down, I walk to the bedroom, I get the sneakers, I get the t-shirt, I get the shorts, and I put it near the front door, there's a good chance of me going. That's 7.3 second rule, which we tried and tested with loads and loads of people. It makes us accountable to ourselves. So yes. you literally have to say that you can do anything you want to, you know, look at you. You know, I don't know any better testament that you can't walk again, you can't. Says who? Stop following the sheep, guys. You know, you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. And I, all I want people to know is, look, take the blinkers off, man. Take them off. See, you know, these guys, that run, and I, I've worked with all of them. Remember the guys that, that CEOs, big corporations, that you look up to and go, oh, he's on $20 million a year. But, you know, he, he probably, they're idiots. I'm sorry, but they're no better than you, not me. You know, they just believe they can do it. Right. That, that's the difference. So if you want to do something, guys, if you want to be a manager or somewhere, or you want to be a millionaire, for instance, start walking like a millionaire, start acting like a millionaire, start talking like a millionaire, you'll become a millionaire. It's in your own uh, pathways all the time, rebuilding all of the time before you become it. So fake it till you make it, that I used to hate years ago, is so true. You have to act as if you're the leader of wherever you're going to go. Yeah. You need to command respect when you walk into a room. Get your head up, get your chest out. You know, start start yes. claiming that. I demand respect. You will not speak down to me. You will not criticize me. If you've got constructive criticism, sit down. I love it. Give it to me, guys. All I want. Don't piss me off because you don't like what I do or you don't like, you know, something about me. You don't even know me. Oh, I've heard that Rob Kelly is it? Is it? You don't even, I've never even met you. You know, what are you talking about? It's crazy. People's conception. Forget that. Forget that. Listen, when, when what other people think and what other haters say to you, start paying the mortgage. Then you can start listening to them. <laughs> Apart from that, they got nothing to say. And that's the truth. You walk in the room, and if you 
And for those that are saying, oh, they're just talking about being strong. No, we're talking about resilience. We're talking about mental resilience as well, right? If I have strength and reserve, if I'm strong physically, I can help somebody else that's fallen down. If I'm financially resolute, right? If I have that resilience, if I have money in reserve, I can literally afford to help somebody else that needs my help. And then again, if I had that mental resilience, it gives me the capacity to let this person, let whatever they say, just roll off my back because it's not a big deal. This is more about them than me. I can walk away from that and I don't have to allow myself to become a victim to their chaos in the process. Yeah. I, I, we had a house in Dallas when I first moved there three years later because I gave away everything for everything. My house was foreclosed on. There was a few thousand people I'd worked with when they, they went before he got foreclosed. And I sent a message out to everyone and we said, guys, I've worked with you all free of charge, but I can't pay the mortgage this month. It's about $1,200 or something for that month. Not one person responded and not one person sent me a cent. Did that put me off working with people? No. It's just the way people are. You walk in a room and there's nine people there, all 50 people there with a smile on your face, all 50 are going to smile back. You walk in out of breath with a frown on your face, most of them are going to frown back. So going back to what you said, Marcus, it's really important that we look after ourselves. You know, if you yes. if you want what I have, you're going to do what I do. You know, I can't magically put you on this and go, okay, you're going to be successful. That's not up to me. I can show you. It's like being dropped in, I don't know, Germany somewhere. And you stop, hey, hey, can you tell me how to get to Smith Street? And he goes, oh, I've never been there. But I think if you drive up here, you take a left, like where the bus station was, was then take a right maybe, and, and it kind of down there. You're never going to get there, guys. If I stop and the guy says, oh, yeah, I, I've been there loads of times. Let me show you the way to get out of this area here to there. And it gives you precise, exact definitions and directions of how you're going to get there. You know you're going to get there. It's the same in this game and any game of life. Wherever you are in life right now, somebody's looking at you. Whether it's your son, a daughter, yes. wife, friend, people that you would never even dream that looking up to a dream are looking up. This is how compliments work, guys. Try this next time you're in a built-up area of people. Pick one, one guy or one girl. Sneakers are always best. And, hey, nice sneakers, man. They go, oh, thank you, man. And then when he walks away, turn around. He's going to look at his sneakers at least two to three times because you've just made his day. So he's going to look down while he's walking, yeah? So he goes home to the wife because he's in a good mood. Now she's in a good mood. Then all of a sudden, two hours later, the mother-in-law calls. And because he's in a good mood, so she's in a good mood. Now the mother-in-law is in a good mood. Puts the phone down. Grant, it just goes on and on. And what, what's your pay for that? Dopamine. Dopamine that you've just helped somebody and you have just bettered their life. Because I'll tell you something for now, guys. Lean into the screen a minute. If you're not changing the world, what the hell are you doing? Every single what are you doing? And I don't care if you believe in God, Supreme Being, Uncle Jimmy. They're going to repay you for that stuff. They really are. I couldn't agree more. Dr. Rob Kelly, where can we learn more about you? You've already been so magnanimous by giving us your phone number. Where can we learn about your organization, about all the stuff that you're doing with everybody? Well, like I said yeah, at the beginning, uh, spell two Bs, no E. R-O-B-B-K-L-L-Y.com is the website. Jump on any search engine in the world and put Dr. Rob R-O-B-B Kelly and all my stuff will come up. If you get on the website, there's a book there called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. Now, I, I mention it quickly. I don't push my book because we don't take any money off it. That's the one that goes back into. So every $9 you spend on that book, the $9, it's not after, you know, expenses. It's like yeah. the $9 goes straight out to the people out there in need. If you don't like the book, message me. We'll send you a full refund, keep the book, and pass it on to somebody that you know. Go and have fun. Friend us, say hi, do whatever you need to do, but always know 
especially relatives or uh, wives of, of alcoholics or depression, that if you call our office, we'll spend all day, every day for the next 20 years talking to you and giving you advice. There's never a charge for that. We just want our family to help your family because I've got, four years ago, my daughter got very in touch with me and, you know, on Messenger. And she now works for me in my Manchester office as my lead therapist. My sister works for me. My brother-in-law works for me. My, my uh, wife works for us, you know, and Courtney works for us. She's classed as family. I mean, we're just a family, no. you know, business trying to help a family. That's all we are. Your work is changing the world, doctor. I, I cannot thank you enough for the time, for your body of work, and keep doing what you're doing. Stay in the trenches and keep pushing. Dr. Rob Kelly, everyone, please follow him. Please follow him on social. Go to his website, get his book. This man's work is what everybody claims to be doing, and he's doing it every day because he's putting in the work. He's about actions and not words. Thanks, Marcus. Great to see you all, guys. Great to see you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.